So this morning we are concluding the message series on Joshua and our kind of our thematic journey through Joshua. Um, you might expect that come the first Sunday in December might begin a, a, a message series, a Christmas message series. And the truth is, um, you know, in God's, I think in, in God's wisdom and kind of his leading, he actually took this message series on Joshua and almost segued it right into a Christmas message. Because how this, this uh, thematic journey ends, I believe, is where we begin in celebrating Jesus Christ's birth at Christmas. Uh, we've talked about several different themes that we have um, that we've discovered and learned about in Joshua. That there was a theme of of the land that God had given His people in Israel, of the promises that God had made, of the covenants that He'd made with His people. That He had. Uh, there were uh, themes of, <coughs> excuse me, of people being obedient to God and God um, desiring and hoping for holiness in His people. We also saw last week the theme of godly leadership and what that should look like, not just in, um, in human leadership, but what we, should look, what we should look at as far as God himself being our leader. And today we're looking at the final theme, which was, is rest. Rest. And I, you might have caught on a little bit just in my prayer how just um, rest is something that we, we seek for, I think, the most, and we, we, we usually don't find it. We constantly, I feel like we're constantly at a sense of, or a state of unease. You know, especially nowadays, especially in this time in December. I had somebody asked me this morning, you know, how are you, how are you doing? How, how are things going? And I'm going, you know, it's just, it's not that I don't um, appreciate Christmas time. It's not that I don't appreciate uh, being able to celebrate Jesus' birth. It's just the fact that December in itself just brings this sense of busyness and craziness in our lives. Uh, whether it be, you know, and it's not just church stuff, but it's, it's, it's family stuff, it's school stuff, it's, it's all, you know, travel, everything that you can imagine that all come and it comes together and, and creates this restlessness that's in our hearts, in our spirit. And it kind of, it kind of um, stays there and hovers there. Um, yesterday, went to Costco on a Saturday. All right? Yes, we are crazy and there was a sense of unrest being at Costco on a Saturday, all right? We knew we had to do we did we knew that it wasn't any other time that we could do it. Andrew and I put it off. We rock paper scissored it. You know, we both we we we, we decided that we both lost and we went together. We figured we would bear the burden together. We did it. And you know, and it was just like that this epitomized just this season this this state of where we are, not just um, in the year, but sometimes in this the state of life. Just kind of this state of unrest of unsettling of just where there's just no peace there's just you know you're just kind of always struggling worrying about something anxieties of the world around us and you know as I considered it it's funny because um you know uh, Barry and I didn't talk a whole lot about uh, what the title of the message ser message was going to be today uh, regarding the songs that he was choosing but the title of the message today is uh the title of one of the songs that he led us in this morning, God rest ye merry gentlemen. In fact, we look at that word rest, even within a Christmas carol that we sing about, uh, and, and we have to wonder, what does that rest look like? What is that rest that we're supposed to or that we're expected to experience? Um, and you know, it, oddly enough, we can almost even find a hint of it just even in the title of that Christmas carol. Now, I don't know, I'm going to 
a little English lesson, okay? I know you guys love school. If you, you, some of you might be math majors. Some of you, this is a little English lesson, all right? A little language arts lesson. So, God rest you, merry gentlemen. When we read the title of that song, it usually reads like this. God rest you, merry gentlemen, right? What we don't realize is that whenever the, the author wrote this song, there was a comma that was entered into the title of this song. And there's been all this debate on where the comma was supposed to be in the title of the song so that it properly conveyed the message of the song. Now, for some people, they say, you know what, well, I believe the comma needs to be right after God. And the expectation there is that we are petitioning God to rest all of the gentlemen, the married gentlemen. And then there's some that say, no, 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 the, the comma actually should be after rest. We're saying that we're, it's almost like asking God to bless, you know, God bless you when you sneeze. God rest us. You know, it's, it's, it's almost a, a blessing or a call for God to bless his gentlemen with rest. And then there's uh, some people that say, well, it should actually be after ye. God bless, God rest ye, and then merry gentlemen. So talking about that the rest was actually um, set off so that you would that would be emphasizing the kind of gentlemen, the merry ones. Truth is, it was in the most unorthodox place that we would have imagined the comma is actually after Mary. And when we read this in English language, we go, and that just makes absolutely zero sense. God rest ye, Mary, gentlemen. We read it like that, and we go, and then you have to think, well, you know, this was writ, written by a Brit, so then it makes sense that they get everything kind of backwards. The point is that the author had intended to emphasize the kind of rest that he wanted the gentleman to have. That rest was supposed to be merry rest. Rest merrily, gentlemen, because Christ our Lord is born today. Just listen to the lyrics one more time. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Rest, rest merrily. Don't rest in discontent. Don't rest in dismay. Remember Christ your Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings of comfort and joy. The whole expectation in the author of this song was to emphasize that when we rest, when he's calling he's, these people to rest, he's saying rest at peace, rest merrily, rest without disdain, without discomfort, without restlessness. And in a sense, we see that there is a, 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 there's a, a certain way in which we are expected to rest, not just in the author of this song. But we also recognize that there was a certain way that God expected his people to experience rest in the book of Joshua. And we see that God offers a rest, that there is a rest that's offered from the Lord for God's children. And that's the final and kind of the, the overarching theme that we see in the book of Joshua, that there is this rest that finally comes, that was promised to God's people, and it was only offered by the Lord. You see, and it was also to foreshadow 
which we will get there in a moment, it was foreshadowed the rest that we too would experience as well as followers of Christ Jesus. But in Joshua, we recognize that rest was part of that inheritance. Rest was part of that promise. Joshua said that you're going to, you tell the people that part of our inheritance is we're twofold. We're going to receive the land and we're going to receive rest. Now, their experience of rest was really one of, thank goodness, we can actually take a sigh of relief. I mean, think about it. These were the people that had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 some odd years. They had done slave work. They had been in a pagan society. They'd been overwhelmed and they had been, um, they had been um, suppressed by pagan deities and by a pagan government. They had been forced into labor. They were tired. They were, you know, tired generations of people. And not only that, after they come out of slavery, for some 40 some odd years, they had to traverse the wilderness to get to the promised land. They were probably, I mean, if I reckon if I, I have to walk sometimes between my house and the mailbox and, you know, depending on if I, yeah, I can get, you get kind of tired of it, depending on if you're not very exercised up. Imagine walking for 40 years. You've been wandering around for 40 years. You're probably tired. You probably want a little rest. You probably want to lay your head on something besides a rock. And not only had they been enslaved for 400 years, they had wandered in the wilderness for 40 some odd years. They had then, before they actually enjoyed the, this rest, this relaxation, they had to go in and through war and battle and take the land. I mean, these people who were probably already fatigued physically, mentally, spiritually, had to be obedient to what the Lord was calling them to do and actually go in and destroy the people, take the land, um, and annex the cities. There was a lot of work that had to be done. So I think that it's without, that is, you know, without a doubt, they were tired. And that might be the understatement of the century. They were tired. They were, they were looking for that rest. They were expecting that God was going to finally give them rest whenever he fulfilled his promises, whenever he kept his covenant. And we see that in Joshua chapter 1. Before Joshua starts, begin, even begins to lead the people into the land, he goes, remember, this rest is coming. Remember that when Moses, the Lord's servant, commanded you when he said, the Lord your God will give you rest and he will give you this land. And that became one of the things that they looked forward to. One of the things that, that just kind of helped propel them forward into finishing the work that God had, had called them to. In Joshua 11, it says, Joshua took the entire land in keeping with all the Lord had told Moses. Joshua then gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal allotments. After this, the land had rest from war. And then again in Joshua chapter 21, the Lord God gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors. They took possession of it and settled there. Verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side according to all he had sworn to their ancestors. None of their enemies were able to withstand against them, for the Lord handed over all of their enemies to them. And then even in the, the Transjordan tribes, the, the two and a half tribes that... that um, that actually their inheritance of the land was on the other side of the Jordan as, as Joshua was sending them back home. J 
Joshua even tells them. And he says, remember now that he, God, has given your brothers, meaning all of the other tribes of Israel, rest just as he promised. So return to your homes in your own land that Moses, the Lord's servant, gave to you. Expect, too, that you're also going to have rest, Joshua said. And there was no doubt that God did what he said he was going to do. That for a time, at least in small spurts, at least in small sections of time, whenever uh, the people had been obedient, when they had done exactly what God had asked them to do, that they did have rest. That they rested. They felt like that they had a sense of accomplishment, a sense of fulfillment that they had done exactly as God had asked them to do. And God gave them rest. That's what he had promised. But there's, there's something that seems to be lacking there. You know, the more that, more that I read into it and the more that I recognize the rest that these people experienced on a physical level, and the more that I went back and looked at the promises that God gave to Moses, I start to recognize, well, wait a second, what was, was that really all that God had in, all that God had planned for them? That he all, that, is that all that God had intended for them as far as rest was concerned? Was it just physical? Was it just rest from war? Was it just a way to sit back and to, and to relax a little bit? And I believe the answer to that was actually found back in the original promise that God gave to Moses, that Moses gave to Joshua, that Joshua gave to Israel as they crossed into the promised land. Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, is where we see this original promise of rest. And he, being God, speaking to Moses, replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, Moses continued to give this explanation down to Joshua, Joshua to Israel. But in a sense, if you look at the context in which God promised that rest to Moses, we recognize that there was something far better than just the physical rest that God had in, in store for his people in Israel. You see, because the context in which God gave Moses this command, that he gave him this promise, was whenever... You remember when Moses was on the mountain, he was receiving the commandments, and then he come down, and he recognized that all the people at the foot of the mountain were rebelling. And then God says, you know what, I'm just going to wipe all these people out, Moses, and I'm going to start back over with you. And Moses says, no, 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 please don't do that. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing here. This is the, this is the, um, the Jeff edition. Moses says, please don't do that, Lord. What are the people going to say about you if they think that you brought all these people out of Egypt only to just annihilate them? And God said, all right, I won't wipe them out. I'll, I'll relent. He says, and uh, as you go on to the promised land, as you go on to, do the, to fulfill the promises that I have given you, uh, know that I will send my angel before you who will constantly be in front of you and guide you. And Moses goes, wait, wait, what? You're going to send an angel. No, Lord, we don't want your angel. We actually want you. Because your angel's not good enough for... If, if you won't go with us, then we're not going anywhere. Well, Father, we want you to go. We want your presence to be with us. And that led God to make this promise with Moses. Know that my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
This was before the people knew that they were going to have to fight all these battles. This was before the people knew that they were going to have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. This was before they knew they were going to have to battle Jericho and Ai and all of these cities in the land of Canaan. God promised this specific kind of rest. And I think the specific kind of rest that God was offering Moses is actually found in that sentence, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You see, the rest that God had hoped to give his people, the expectating, ex, expected rest that he wanted to give his people was that not just of rest of physical activity, not just of rest of war, but he wanted the rest of the peop people to experience rest of God's presence with them, of peace, of a soul rest. A rest that really we don't really have a definition for. One in which our heart is just at ease. So in order to alter that original um, uh, 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 header just a little bit, I think we can recognize the expectation that God had. It wasn't just offering rest from the Lord. It was actually offering a soul rest from the Lord. And we recognize that soul rest in Christ Jesus. Now, we've said all along as we've studied through the book of Joshua how it kind of projected, it foreshadowed the experiences that we were going to know and come to, come to pass through Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens in the topic and the theme of rest. You see, the rest that the people experienced there, it was short-lived. And it was almost... Um, Short defined, if you will. The definition wasn't completed through Joshua. But the definition of rest, the expected rest that God had for his people, was experienced in its completeness in Jesus Christ. And again, this is not like the rest that we have whenever we kick back on our couch. And we take a sigh of relief. Every Sunday, I get home after worship and one of my favorite things to do is take a nap, all right? I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, just take a nap. Usually, I'll put on something, you know, a football game of a couple of teams that I care nothing about, and, and I fall asleep to that. And you know what? There's like this, um, because I'm kind of spent in that time, I kind of feel like I'm, you know, I'm at ease. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm resting, but the truth is, I'm not. Because in my mind, I'm going, did I say that right? Did I misconvey that? Or I look up and I see something in the house of some, of some task, some remedial thing that hasn't been finished. And I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm constantly, even in my dream, and it comes out in my dreams and daydreams and stuff like that. Just the unrest, the uneasiness of the things that I really haven't found that soul peace. Unfortunately, that's not the rest, not that take a Sunday afternoon nap kind of rest that God is mentioning. He's talking about a rest that is at peace, fulfilled with a sense of completion, no soul burdens, a rest that's known when one is at peace with God and God is in his presence. And just think about that for a moment. A rest that we can have in our souls 
when we are in the presence of God and there is no burdens. You see, that wasn't the complete rest that the Israelites experienced. And there was also an understanding through generation after generation after generation that Israel didn't experience the full definition of God's rest whenever they reached the promised land. And the reason we know that is because throughout Scripture, over and over and over again, more generations kept bringing up this sense of needing rest and finding rest. If rest had been fulfilled in its fullness to its people in Israel, then we wouldn't have kept talking about it generation after generation after generation. In fact, just to prove my point, Psalm 95. So some hundreds of years later, King David writes Psalm 95. And he writes this. He said, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. The sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in Meribah, as on the day at Massah, in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, and here is the key sentence, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They were disobedient. They don't know my ways. I swore in my anger, God said, they will not enter my rest. You know, I think the key word in that last sentence is they will not enter his rest. It's not that they won't enter rest from war. It's not that they won't enter rest from the wilderness. Is they won't enter God's rest because of their disobedience, because of their contrite heart. Many years later, now we find ourselves as a New Testament people in a New Testament church. And as we read authors and writers of New Testament books, we recognize that even they talk about this rest that still is available from an almighty God. The writer of Hebrews is the one, I believe, that conveys this idea the greatest. And he, rests, he, go, he goes back part of the way into history, and he recalls these words of David in Psalm 95. And then he also goes, goes back all the way back to the people of Israel, and he recollects the rest that they experienced in the promised land. In Hebrews chapter 3, quotes from Psalm 95, and he says, Today, if you hear his, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Again, Referring back to the time when the people rebelled against the Lord and they refused to take the land. For those for who heard and rebelled in verse 16. Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses with whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? if not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were unable to enter 
because of unbelief. And we shouldn't assume that the writer is saying they were unable to enter the promised land because the writer is talking about rest. They were unable to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. You see, that rest that God granted Moses, it was a rest that he had hoped for his people of Israel. That they would get to this promised land, that they would have fulfilled all of his promises, that they would have fulfilled all of his commands, that they would have wiped out all of the people as he had expected, that they would not have left anything of this pagan culture left standing, that they would have completely submitted themselves to the Lord their God, that God would have been their leader from then on out forevermore, and God's presence with them, among them, in that promised land would be their rest. And yes, that also included that their enemies couldn't, couldn't stand against them because God was giving them rest. It included rest from war, but it by all means, that wasn't the end game. The end game was that not just would they have physical rest, but soul rest, a peace, a comfort. And if it was still, that kind of rest was still recognized by David in the Psalms, we have to conclude that the rest was perpetual. The God rest was perpetual, uh, perpetually available generation after generation after generation. And that's why the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 in the present tense when he says, today, if you hear his voice. And that way, whenever we read that, today... In 2023, we read that in the present tense. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The writer of Hebrews goes on and he says, So since this promise of rest, this promise to enter his rest remains, again, we recognize because multiple generations have recognized that God's rest has continued to be available generation after generation after generation. Let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard didn't benefit them since they weren't united with those who heard it in faith. Now, did these people hear the message about Christ? No. But what they did hear is a message about me be your God, you be my people. Be obedient. Be submissive. Be humble. And that same message they didn't respond to. Just as some people don't respond to that message of being obedient to Christ in today's age. The message they heard didn't benefit them because they weren't united with those who heard it in faith. For we, have, for we who have believed enter the rest. God's rest. In keeping what he has said, so I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Even though his, God's works, have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way, and on the seventh day God rested from all of his works. Now if our head is spinning a minute, let me explain what the writer of Hebrews is saying there. The writer of Hebrews is saying, if we go back to God the Creator... And we recognize the six-day creation. And then on the seventh day, God did what? Rested. Now, 
If God rested on the seventh day, does that mean that he picked back up on the next day one and started creating again? No. God's creation was done in six days. So you know what? That seventh day rest, that seventh day Sabbath rest, has been going on since creation. That seventh day Sabbath rest in God our Father has been available since He rested and continues to rest and will continue to rest for eternity. The same rest that God has experienced from eternity past to eternity future, we too have that eternal rest available to us. The writer of Hebrews goes back again and he says, again, going back to Psalm 95, it says, they will never enter my rest. Speaking of the people who were disobedient. So therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, the rest, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter it because of disobedience, he again specifies a certain day, that is, today. He specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Remember, there's this long span of time between the rest that he gave the people of Israel and David proclaiming that there's still a rest available. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, unbelievers, revelers, disobedient people, we fail to enter God's rest just as they did then, just as they did in David's time, just as they do now. And it's always there. It's always available. It's, it's, it's always just one submission away. And for, for those of us who have found ourselves as at least we strive to be obedient children of God through Jesus Christ. We find that as a, a what, what a welcome message. That I can rest at ease in a God-present place in my life. But don't just take my word for it. All we've got to do is just continue on into what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, because if Joshua had given them rest, then God wouldn't have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest, a God rest, remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that none of us will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. You know, when we find ourselves being disobedient, when we find ourselves at odds with the Lord, and I believe that we can all say that we've experienced this probably multiple times in our lives, maybe even multiple times a day, multiple times a week. We enter or we feel unrest. We feel a spiritual unrest. And that spiritual unrest, nine times out of ten, is because of something that we have done that have made us at odds with God. And constantly... We hear, this, we hear this voice of God going, you know, but it's, it's just as close as today. It's just as close as today as when you hear his voice to repent and to turn in your obedience and re, 
remember and receive that rest once again. God's provided a spiritual rest, an eternity rest for those who approach Him through faith in Christ. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 57 says, The wicked are like those tossing in the sea. And I I quoted the NIV specifically because there's several different um, translations for the Hebrew word that's used for rest, but I believe the NIV hits the nail on the head. He says, The wicked are like the tossing sea which cannot rest. Those whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. But Jesus says, If you come to me, though, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. And I'm so grateful that this is not a kick my feet back up on the couch kind of rest. Because, man, sometimes those naps, they just don't last long enough. But that soul rest lasts forever. That at ease, that peace, that recognition that, that Christ has come into my life and that he has forgiven me and that he has restored me. And that he has allowed himself to receive all of the burdens of my life. And I have none. Or I should have none. Anything that I retain, I do that on my own power. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your what? For your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, hallelujah. You know, and I think that's why it's such a timely message as we lead into Christmas. As we start to celebrate, we start to ponder on the birth of Jesus Christ. On the reception of that rest. So that we can say too that we rest merrily. Because we found a soul that's at peace with the Lord. Because we've given ourselves over to the salvation in Jesus Christ. We've quit trying to do stuff ourselves. We've recognized our limitations. We've recognized our need for a Savior. We've recognized the the holy God and the unholy human being. We have a soul that's at rest because we're not fighting with God anymore. We're not at odds with him anymore. He's not telling us one thing and we're not doing another. We're at peace. We have a place that Jesus offers us that gives us free of spiritual burdens. That weight on the soul because of sin and disobedience. That weight on the soul that brings guilt and shame. Rest that's free and worries free of worries and stresses of life, and of course, of enemies as well. This morning as we commune together, as we take the bread and as we take the cup, I believe that is, a, that is such a, a prominent hope and a prominent promise that we truly need to meditate on as we enter into the Christmas season. 
that Jesus brought a state of rest, of soul rest, to all of those who submit themselves to Him and are obedient to Him. What once was temporary, what once could only be experienced through the, um, through the works of mankind, now has been offered free of charge by God's grace, by His mercy. And Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, all of you who are heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. There's nothing that compares to that rest. There's nothing that compares with being at peace with God. As we take the bread and the cup, we recognize and we remember the cost for bringing that rest. We remember that it took someone, Jesus Christ, God and man, allowing his body to be broken on our behalf so that our bodies could rest. It allowed him to shed his blood, to do that sacrificially, to do that willingly, so that our relationship with God was now made right, so that we were now at peace with him. That there has been shed blood, there has been a death, that there has been penalty paid, that God's wrath has been appeased, and God's rest is available to you and to I. Almighty God, as we take the bread and the cup this morning, Father, may we praise you for the rest that is available to each one of us. A rest that you had hoped your people, the Israelites, would have experienced in the promised land. And they experienced it partially. But the eternal rest, Lord, that you had hoped for them, they didn't experience. How blessed are we, Father, that we experienced the full measure of your rest. Rest from our enemies. Rest from the burden of our souls. Because of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And on that day so many years ago, Father, you brought to the world the possibility of that God rest in your son, Jesus Christ. May we receive that rest, Lord. Not only may we receive it, Lord, but may we bask in it. May we reside in that state of rest forever and ever. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.